I'm Hannah Trum, and this is Hypocritical, a podcast from Powbox, where we discuss security, technology, and compliance news with healthcare industry leaders. The need for the healthcare industry to leave antiquated technology and security practices behind is ever-present. But if our industry learned anything during the pandemic, it's this. Healthcare has to be accessible and easy to consume. The days of a one-size-fits-most approach when giving patient care, especially mental health care, are coming to an end. My guest today, Dave Ledoux, understands and welcomes this reality. Dave is the CIO of Innovive Health, and as he says, Captain Cloud. During his tenure, he's pretty much done it all. Updated their InfoSec stack, migrated from hard copies to the cloud, and reduced overall technology spend. Now he's working to support Innovive's leap into a data-driven approach to patient care, a topic we cover today, along with selling cybersecurity to the C-suite, how AI will be helpful in healthcare, and the challenges of an organizational rebranding from a tech standpoint. Dave, I am so glad to have you on Hypocritical today. You are one of my favorite people to talk to, especially about cybersecurity. So I'd like to go ahead and jump in. Uh, Your company has recently done a name change and a mission change. So I'd like to talk about that a little bit. What kind of challenges did your team face on the technical side of the brand change from Nozoni to Innovive? I can tell you, as an officer of a company, uh, before I get to the technical part, I I had no idea the legal layers in changing your name. Um, You know, like if if I imagine stars in the past, like like, like Prince and, and Kanye currently, right? Like, they are. It is really, really challenging. It's I a mean, legal like, battle for sure. <laughs> oh, like you can't just lay a DBA in there, you know, and, and start sending out bills. So they add in healthcare and then add in tax paid healthcare. And there are so many agencies which have to sign off on you proceeding. Um, I was, you know, partly participating in that because a lot of those tie to how our tech systems go. But uh, I was very surprised. I, I don't think we'll do this again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would hope not. We'll stick. <laughs> yeah, we'll stick with Innovive. Uh, on the technical side, um, it was far less challenging, to be honest. Um, it was challenging in the sense that kind of had to line up, oh, 15 plus moving parts to kind of happen in a, in a very specific timeline, right? So we picked a, a Sunday late at night um, to match with a billing cycle and to match with um, a, a low spot in our user activity. Um, so we uh, we did the same, we do home care and, and we do same the same amount of visits every day of the year. So on a, on a Tuesday, we do just as many visits as we do at Christmas Day. So there is no real weekend or vacation, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality of the tech side really is that as an entirely cloud-based company, um, I had to cut over all of my tenant URLs to um, in, in a very narrow timeline. And um, that starts with Microsoft and cascades to the other cloud platforms. Um, since they're cloud-based, everything functions really on a URL. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm opening a Word document, for instance, behind that really is the box URL, which now has to point to a new tenant. Um, some companies do much better. They have um, what's called spoofing. And so it has to be approved by them. Spoofing, of course, is a word that Powerbox uses quite a bit. It's a bad yes. thing generally. <laughs> um, but when you cut over and you legally own both names, you're allowed to spoof your old name to your new name. And the companies that do that, um, thank you. It is fantastic. The companies that don't, please consider it. Uh, you mentioned the cloud. And I know that when you first joined your company, moving everything to the cloud was like your big first challenge. Why do you think transitioning data servers, assets to the cloud is so important, especially in healthcare? For me, the two biggest words are scale and cost. Mm-hmm. Um, you're absolutely correct. When I showed up here, we were entirely terrestrial, other than having um, a Microsoft O360 
hybrid tenant, so partly in the cloud. The cost was huge. Tracking costs was extremely expensive. Uh, we happened to have, and this is irrespective uh, of cloud or terrestrial, we had all sorts of redundant systems layered over top of each other. And so in the cleanup, um, I noticed that moving to subscription models um, allowed uh, far better licensing control, right? You're not buying, um, I'll say, a real block of licenses. You're buying a virtual um, as-you-need chunk of licenses. So you can, mm -hmm. um, you know, an elastic platform. Um, and the scale is the most important part. If I have a server that sits in a closet in a building, whether it's a data center or whether that's one of my offices, then I have to buy more of those as I grow. Um, if I have um, an allocation that sits in AWS or Azure, then I just uh, you know step on the throttle and they give me more. Mm -hmm. um, and so as a company that has our eye on uh, national growth uh, actively in process, uh, scale is very important. So the cloud helps you achieve that at a lower cost with higher performance. It does. Yep. To put it very succinctly. I like to do that. Um, <laughs> so when I was doing some research on uh, Innovive and on you, just so that I could get some research done for this, I noticed that uh, y'all have taken a big switch into providing telehealth all the time. Healthcare never stops. Health, mental health never stops. Uh, so providing healthcare to patients at their homes via telehealth or other services can increase your attack service. How is your department updating or changing its training with this new mission in mind? So in our market space, your research is on point. Um, specific to Innovive Health, um, our patient base, which is nearly exclusively mental health, very, very small variances from that patient base. Um, telehealth is, is, a, is a tough sell. Primarily because the the interface really kind of creates a point of confusion. So, for instance, when I first started here, I, uh, I went on some visits uh, with our clinicians uh, to get an idea of what I'm dealing with. I'm going to tell them to carry device X and press these things in the field. Like, what does the field look like, right? Mm -hmm. And and the very first patient was a paranoid schizophrenic um, among comorbidities. She also had um, she had um, diabetes, etc., some other conditions as well. And it took us, uh, and I'm not joking here, Hannah, it took us over 40 minutes to get into the front door. Um, her paranoid schizophrenia had her convinced that someone was attacking her and the door was barricaded. There were multiple chairs and all that stuff. And so imagining a device beeping and saying, take your pills now could trigger such an event. Yes, definitely. So the good news on the telehealth side is that the billing pathway has opened as a result of the pandemic. Prior, telehealth was kind of a fun thing for people to dabble in, and now you can actually get paid for it. Mm -hmm. um, specific to our space in mental health, um, we're a bit far from having a device that is either sufficiently interactive for such a person uh, or having um, that connect directly to our in-person care with any, uh, any real success. Mm -hmm. But it is something that y'all are working on trying. That's kind of your mission going forward for maybe the next decade at least. Yeah, I would I would shorten that probably to five years. I would say <laughs> real success, like um, like everyone's using it all the time. We love it. It's the standard thing in 10 years for sure. Um, and, so, and so working on it falls into a couple of categories. Uh, yes, I am actively testing devices um, and, and helping shape where they go. And then on the on the payment side, right, the payer sources are actively working on how do we make this something that we embrace rather mm -hmm. than just kind of accept if you push for it. So from the tech side, how did you weigh the pros and cons of being data driven with your patient care with the rest of the C-suite? You know, from a technical and security standpoint, that's a lot of HIPAA violations that could happen. So how did you sell the need for the technology and the privacy to the rest of your team? 
Yeah, it is. And, and that's a smart piece of insight that it, it's, uh, it, it's a lot of points of HIPAA violations. You're right. You know, it's a lot of human that, endpoints. <laughs> yeah. And something that gets charged per line, right? Yes. So, I mean, you know, one errant email and, and we're in trouble. Yes. Um, so since that cost is kind of easily grasped, um, especially with my CFO, who I have a great relationship with, I'm a big cost center for him, so I get to know him very well. Um, Same, I work in marketing. I'm always a cost center for the CFO. Exactly. <laughs> yep. I've got another one for you. Okay, come on in, Dave. Um, so justifying it. At, at the finance office is pretty straightforward because I can show like, okay, you know, I need to spend, let's say a hundred grand here because that's going to prevent at any time spending 5 million, the penalty. Mm-hmm. But from a more specific perspective, um, getting into how we, how we spend that money and where it gets spent, such as Popbox, such as having um, encrypted tenants you know, for all of our uh, cloud providers, right? BAA in place everywhere. I mean, the danger of having a non-encrypted mm-hmm. provider that won't sign a BAA. And so it's challenging because everyone wants lower cost and everyone <laughs> wants quick and easy and they want to deploy by Monday. We're talking about a Friday and having all of those ducks in a row slows that down. Yes, definitely. Um, you, you get better and better at these conversations, but um, <laughs> I'll say that they never become really easy. <laughs> yes, proving your ROI if, over something that's like not tangible. It's like, just trust me. Just trust me that you need this invisible cybersecurity help because it will be so costly if we don't. If you look forward in, in this current world, um, the exposure is only greater, yes. right? Like basically, there, there will never be less attack surface than there is now. Mm-hmm. There'll never be less people on the internet than there are today. Bingo. Or nefarious players <laughs> looking to take you down. Exactly. So are y'all expanding your cybersecurity stack to help mitigate this risk that's caused by using more data for your patient care? A little. Uh, I'm in pretty good shape. And I did a lot of that expansion in the last couple of years. And so I'll say cautiously, I like where I am now. Um, but it is something um, that is kind of under constant review. You know, very different than, let's say, do we go Microsoft or G Suite? Right? It's kind of like, okay, you settle and you really kind of stay in that groove for a long time, generally. Um, whereas cybersecurity is something like, it's kind of like every week you're reading and testing and you, you know, I, I'm always demoing stuff. Like, okay, like, do you have a better thing? Or like, mm-hmm. is it worth more money? Is it worth a different direction? Um, so I'm not actively expanding currently other than... Uh, I keep my ear very close to the ground. You're window shopping. Yeah, and I am ready to pivot at any time, for sure. How does this 24-7 approach to mental health affect the technology or InfoSec policies that you'll have for your customers, for your consumers, for your anyone, basically, that's working with y'all? We have an interesting profile in the sense that the patients we treat, I wouldn't consider our customers Mm -hmm. because they don't pay us. Okay. Uh, So we have have, uh, the um, practitioner, and then we have the payer source, mm-hmm. and then we are the provider. Mm-hmm. And so the patient receives the service, the money comes from elsewhere. Okay. And, and so it's interesting because if you think about that as a customer, um, that's a much larger entity than trying to make it. We are really, we are absolutely a B2B platform mm-hmm. um, with kind of a C below it. You yes. Know? We have to take care of the C, but the B is where the money comes from. And they are a large entity, and generally a national player and all that stuff. Um, so that, that kind of drives our, um, our always-on nature. And that's where the 24-7 comes from, right? Because the customer side 
um, is, is limited to a daytime visit. You know, I mean, we do visit seven days a week, but they are restricted to a daytime visit. Mm-hmm. Whereas the payer source, the other B, um, has um, they never really turn off. So that, if we go back to the start, really drives a lot of my cloud platforms because you know I need like rather than having what I would consider original redundancy for terrestrial, where I've got maybe a second server to fail over to, right? Like I want to have true cloud where there's just servers everywhere. And I need no less than 10 natural disasters to even put a dent in the performance of what I've got available. Because I do have people, I have my employees working quite often in the middle of the night. I've got Mm -hmm. visits starting as early as 7 a.m. And so I've got employees preparing them before 7 a.m. And I've got visits occurring as late as 9 p.m., which Mm -hmm. might go to midnight. We really are, even though we've got kind of office hours of sorts. Like we really are 24-7 as a company, even though the visits don't take place then. Um, so, so, you know, my policies have to be, for the most part, um, uh, autonomous, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my platforms have to be able to function and kind of self-heal a little bit because I don't have a large team. I don't have someone on my team who's awake at 2 a.m. unless they have to be, <laughs> you know, we do that sometimes. Yeah. Um, like, like if we're cutting over to a new name, for instance. <laughs> Uh, and, and so, and so that draw like I can't really go with a small provider with you know like a, a, a button press kind of platform. I have to have something that really can learn. That's where AI comes in, and I have to have systems that can self heal. Mm-hmm. And I also have to have teams, ideally, that aren't only on my time zone. Yes, so yes. It's nice. It's nice having the hour shifts either way. You know, HIPAA kind of keeps me in this country, but having the West Coast involved is very handy. Yes, yes. You also said self-healing, which is something a previous guest of mine, Sue Bajaj, has said about email AI. So can you explain how you think email AI and self-healing can really help cybersecurity, not just at your company, but at any company? Sure. So, I mean, if we can have, um, if we can have intelligent systems that can, for instance, so I want to be able to set policies for, let's say, approving... Um, an outbound email by a DLP platform, right? So I don't want to have that be a manual human being approval. Mm-hmm. So first of all, it would go into an approval tray based on um, terms that I set. But secondarily, I want AI to learn based on past approvals by humans what it can then autonomously approve, will go, approve going forward. Mm-hmm. Right now, I have less humans involved because generally... Any smart platform can figure this out. There are going to be repetitive approvals in there that fit a pattern. Yes. Right. And let's have AI detect those patterns and move forward based on those. Now, there is a danger when you're dealing with HIPAA. This is different than, let's say, approving uh, like a, a purchase for a, a widget, right? Like that's that has kind of a lower impact. Like, yeah, maybe like a $25 item gets out the door and it shouldn't have. That's okay. We can learn from that and not do that again. Um, sending the wrong medication to the wrong patient has a different impact. <laughs> yes, um, definitely. AI, AI can get there, but there's going to be a big, huge magnifying lens. I'm like, okay, let's have a whole sandbox with a whole patient load and let's watch it work in there before we really start testing that in humans and just apologizing because there's no room for that there. <laughs> yes, there is no room for error when you're doing it with actual humans. So would you no. say that you think um, self-healing, like an email AI perspective is really where healthcare needs to go in the future in the next 10 to 15 years? Uh, I would say without question, it needs to. Um, we are talking about an industry that still uses paper faxes. Love fax um, machines, man. I am extremely cautious after having spent a few years in the healthcare industry as a provider that we can get there. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll never stop trying. It, it, it doesn't discourage me, but uh, I am realistic. 
So how would you sell the importance of good InfoSec hygiene or email AI to the rest of your senior management? But for anyone that's listening, if they're trying to get their senior management on board with this, how would you sell it to them? You know, that's the right question. And, and I, I don't think the answer is is immediately... like it's, There's no like elevator pitch for that, mm-hmm. um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I mean, the... For me, as much as I love people, I'm a person myself, um, I love reducing the amount of stuff that people have to do in a repetitive nature. I think that's such a waste of our it's incredible such a minds. waste of our time. This entire chat that we're having, right? It, this is all original content. You, you can't automate a podcast with different people. No. Um, you know, and, and I, would, I would hate to have that task load for, for any person. And so imagining like what a machine does and imagining a person feeding a machine, imagine that now on a cloud electronic platform, um, like that notion of that working perfectly with self-healing AI, uh, very quickly smart learning AI, I think is an easy sell. Uh, the problem is, since we're not there, it, it's, it's a little bit like selling better oxygen. <laughs> and so like the concept is fantastic. And, and the reality of it happening is probably 10 times as good as the concept. Um, having it not be there is, I think, the challenge in front of us. What kind of ransomware schemes or scares have you witnessed in this last year? Um, well, a, I mean, this, this may just get past the... The, um, the year line, but um, a significant partner of ours was 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 taken down for for weeks at a time. Yes. Um, so they had someone who sat, unfortunately, at the core server and uh, and clicked the link, and um, all servers were encrypted and locked, and they were hard down for about six weeks. That's awful. Um, so we are a customer of theirs, and we had to revert in some areas to a paper process. A paper, you know, basement layer that everything is built on. So it's okay. you can go back there if you need to. It, it was horrible. I mean, internally, it was embarrassing. Externally, like we function as a business was fine, right? But it was just like, how can this happen? How, how can everything pivot around that? I mean, for us, it happened to be our EMR. So you don't really have a backup EMR. No. All right. Like you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and nor can you have a, a running copy of it. Uh, you know, this doesn't work that way. Yeah. So that was, that was, that was critical. That was, that was for us, that was really, really, really super ultra bad. Um, other stuff that, that I've come across, luckily we've had, uh, no impact by the way. I can, um, I can maybe pat myself a little bit in the back. I can compliment, uh, Powbox. You know, I mean, the best, I think the best defense is not letting someone see something. Yes. Right. Because, yes. Humans, me included, are gonna get caught. Like they're yes. just there's stuff that's too good. There's a, everyone's got like a gift card number that they are interested, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, and uh, I just recorded another episode with Asia Anderson, our Popbox customer success manager, and we were talking about how we both got text messages that says, you know, your Bank of America account is overdue, and she was like, "Oh my god, this is because she just made a purchase." But I was sitting on my couch, and I was like, "I don't have Bank of America. I know this is fake, yeah. but I know that someone will fall for it because everyone has Bank of America, right? It only takes yep. one yeah, time." Sure. I mean, they work on percentages, right? So if you send out a message at whatever time or whatever day, someone, some percentage of people are going to be busy enough that they're going to just click on it to make it go away, right? Yeah. Percentage. Bank of America is certainly a percentage player in the market. So yes. send out that. You've got enough people that are going to say, well, I don't want my account locked. I will click on this. Yes. Right. Send out an Apple notification. There's enough Apple people in this country that, they, I mean, so you could just work down the list. Yes. Um, 
and, and, and I mean, the danger is real. And, and if so, if you get the right person sitting at the right device with the right amount of privileges, an entire company can taken down. That's what we experienced. And it, it, it was just brutal. I, I had no idea that a company of our size could function mostly on paper on a billable side of the company. Makes you think about if the internet died, <laughs> how the world it would does. function. <laughs> it does. And it's funny because that, that brought, for me, that brought up a lot of conversations in my office about like every system. So like people kind of went in panic mode. Say, okay, do we have a backup for, and they just, you know, here's 30 things. And I'm like, well, I mean, okay, let's think about this. Like some of them were kind of easier answers, but like, I can't really have like a whole secondary phone system. Like, how would we tell everyone what the new number is? Right. But I mean, like some things don't back up that easy. I can't have a whole second uh, HIPAA certified email system that is hot and ready to serve. Like, you know, by the time we cut over to these things, like everything would be fixed, right? Yes, yes. And then talk about a cost load, like talk about selling cybersecurity or C-suite. Hey, we need this, but then we also need this maybe backup if the internet dies. Do you have any last minute tips or anything for any of our listeners today? Um, I would say a broad tip about anything um, cloud-related is keep an eye on your cost structure. Subscription-based services have a downside of sometimes surprising you. So AWS can scale exponentially. Now, if, you know, if you're not aware that you have a process that is scaling exponentially, then your cost will scale exponentially and that next bill will be a surprise. That's where I see the, the, the most common mistakes. It's easier to say, okay, I bought 10 licenses and I own them. But to buy as many licenses as you need with automatic scaling autonomously can be dangerous. So you might not realize that you had something that was stuck and, you know, and, and behind the scenes hired 10,000 people. Um, and on the security side, I would say uh, it, is, it is far, far, far easier to do your homework ahead of time than it is to have a great recovery plan. about the topics Dave and I covered in this episode, please head to powbox.com slash blog, or you can view the transcript for other helpful links. Every episode of Hypocritical is available on powbox.com or via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Hypocritical. I'm your host, Hannah Trum, signing off.